Hi, my name is Tom, and I'm tired. I am tired of being brokenhearted. I am tired of being anxious and overwhelmed. I am tired of the mindset that says in order for me to have more, you have to have less. I'm tired of my side is right and your side is wrong. And by the way, because you're on the other side, you are a terrible human being. I am tired of things not changing. I'm just tired. How about you? Are you tired too? Do me a favor. You guys are in Stratford, you're together. Turn to somebody. If you're tired, tell them, say, I'm tired. If you guys are watching at home, put it in the chat. I'm tired. I don't know about you guys, but I don't do tired well. So what, what are our options, right? Do we just throw up our, our hands, throw in a towel, call it a day? Because I think um, one of the few things that I do less well than tired is losing and failing. So here's my plan. My plan is to double down on Jesus' plan. And that is his offer to us to invite him in, to give him every area, each, every, all areas of our lives. And then become so connected with him that as his spirit lives in us and moves in us and through us, that, that our thoughts and our words and our actions would become what Jesus's would be if he were in our place. And top of that list of actions is sacrificially loving others, and especially those who are trying to live with and for Jesus. And then you know what? That way of living is going to attract attention. People are going to be like, what, that, what is going on over there? The way they treat each other is, un- I, I don't see that. And then we take that opportunity and we point to Jesus and we say it's all about Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. So the next 20 minutes or so will be my invitation to you to join me as we go about trying to bring this new way of life to our area to Trumbull, to Stratford, to Bridgeport, and Milford, and West Haven, and Beacon Falls, and Newtown, and Sandy Hook, and Fairfield, and all the and Shelton, and all the other places that we represent as crossroads, that we can do that, that we can go and make a difference. Just like Paul did as he traveled around the Mediterranean, he did, he did two things, really, when he traveled around the Mediterranean. He introduced people to Jesus And the other thing that he did was as people came to know Jesus, he taught them what it meant to live in the new family, what it meant to live like in the new family of Jesus. What it was like to put others before yourself, to build each other up. Because you see, for Paul, for Jesus, for all of Scripture, sacrificially loving others is how we experience and express new life found in Jesus. So you guys, this is actually... Um, part one of a two-part message. This week, we're going to look at the idea of experience, and next week, we're going to look at the idea of what our faith expressed in sacrificial love does to the world around us. But before, before we move on, 
we're going to um, ground ourselves a little bit. John did a great job last week teaching through the first half of Acts chapter 21, in which Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. And his friends tried everything to keep him from going because they were worried about his safety and his well-being. But Paul was convinced that it was God's will for him to go to Jerusalem. Paul was convinced that with his unique gifts and wirings and the timing with where and when he was and the calling that had been placed on his life, the best way that he, Paul, could love God and love others was to go to Jerusalem. Right, so that's where we're going to pick up the account in Acts. We're in chapter 21, and we are going to start in verse 17. I'm only going to read a handful of verses. I'm only going to read like nine verses. Here we go. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. They said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to their customs. You're basically telling them to ignore the law. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in the reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the, to the temple to give notice to, of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. All right, so Paul's trip to Jerusalem was both a very uh, practical project and a symbolic project all at the same time, most of which Paul orchestrated and organized, some of which he agreed to, but all of which was meant to display how people who love Jesus treat each other, regardless of where they're from or what their background was like, but they're all together in the same family on the same team now. And as we look, about, look at this, um, we're, I said we we're going to concentrate on experience, and Paul's experience was made up of two things, right? We see from the pages of Scripture what he did and what he taught. And Paul did three things that we infer from the, the pretext of our passage and also from the text itself. The first one is this collection, right? The reason why Paul was going to Jerusalem, I've referred to it, John referred to it, he was bringing money, much needed money, to the believers in the city of Jerusalem. Let's kind of play the tape back a little bit. Remember all the way back to Acts 8, a great persecution broke out at Jerusalem when Stephen was stoned and martyred. From there, many of the believers left. Some of them stayed, and the, the people who have come to Jesus since then, they were all under tremendous persecution. That meant things like they got kicked out of their families, they got kicked out of their homes, they lost their jobs. And on top of all of that, everyone who lived in Jerusalem was suffering through a famine. So these folks were in deep, deep need. Now, this, um, this collection, in the notes, it's actually highlighted, it's a, it's a link in my message notes, Paul refers to this collection in almost 
uh, not almost every letter, in I think four of the letters that he wrote, some scholars say that Paul was obsessed with this idea of bringing this money to Jerusalem. And it was for two reasons. It was, like I said, practical and symbolic. Practically, he wanted to help them out. They were in trouble. But also symbolically, he wanted the believers in Jerusalem to know that these folks from all over the Mediterranean who were now following Christ were with them. Money talks, right? They were, wanted to show as best they could that they were with the Jerusalem church. All right, so the next thing he did is that Paul brought a team with them. All right, so this is, again, we're going to play back the tape a little bit. Acts 20, verse 4. He, being Paul, was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. If you look at that map, those three red circles are the areas where those people referenced in that verse were from. That's all over the northeastern Mediterranean. And they, Paul recruited them, and they joined Paul on this very dangerous journey, right? They wanted to send money to Jerusalem. They didn't have a debit card. They didn't have a cash app. They had to carry bags of whatever kind of denarii to, to Jerusalem, right? So it was fraught with danger that from thieves, robbers, what have you, in countryside, on the, on the seas, in port cities. They undertook a very dangerous journey with Paul, a journey that had an uncertain end, but they did it to bring the collection and to show the believers in Jerusalem that they were with them. They gave up their homes and what they were doing previously so that they could be there for the believers in Jerusalem. The last thing we see that Paul did was he undertook this vow. So scholars think that this is something called the Nazarite vow, Nazarene vow. Um, It's an Old Testament uh, vow that men or women could undertake for a specific period of time. It wasn't always the same time. And it was just to set aside time uh, to come before God and to just make yourself pure. They had to do things like, well, we read in in the passage, right? Had to shave their heads. They had to make sacrifices, which mean they had to go buy animals to be sacrificed. It was a time of, uh, I mean, I guess at some level you could call it inconvenience, right? Because they had to do things that they normally wouldn't. Uh, There were financial expenses involved. There were, like, I'm sure people back then weren't much different. They weren't really probably crazy about shaving their heads. They had to do, they did all these things for the sake of purification. Now, Paul who has come to know Jesus and come to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of that purification. Jesus made that purification, right, no longer necessary. And Paul knows that. However, because it is meaningful to those Jewish believers in Jerusalem and those who are Jewish who had not yet come to faith in Jesus, Paul said, I'm going to lay aside my right to let that go. And I'm going to participate in this awkward, uncomfortable, expensive thing. And I'm going to not only pay for me, but the other guys as well to make this happen. All so he could show the believers, his brothers and sisters in Christ, in the Jerusalem church, that he was with them. He laid aside those rights and those those freedoms. So, you guys, that's a lot of stuff, right? And sometimes we think about the heroes and heroines of the biblical narrative and it can be overwhelming and intimidating. I'm like, I'm not Paul. I can't do that. 
I'm not going to travel hundreds of miles away so I could bring, like, I just, that's just not me. I can't, I can't do that. What Paul and the team did, let's not overthink this, okay? They met practical needs and they showed up. They were present. They gave up their time. They laid down a freedom of their time. They laid down a right to their time and they, and they showed up, right? So this brings us to what Paul taught. Most of the letters of the New Testament are written by Paul, and within those letters are these statements called the one another's. I think there's like 59 of them. And within those, there's a series of verses that talk about um, one thing. And I would summarize, and that's the verses that are up on the screen, I would summarize that one thing is this, willingly laying aside your rights and freedoms for the sake of others. This idea is a huge deal for Paul. It's a hallmark characteristic of believers in Jesus. And he teaches it, and he lives it, and he teaches it, and he lives it, and he teaches it, and he lives it. All right. So please hear me. I am not, I don't want you to hear this as me adding to your already full plate or your to-do list. I'm not trying to, I'm not about to try to give you a list of chores to do around the crossroads house. I am, I'm inviting you to, um, to participate with Jesus in doing this, right? Remember back to where I first started. Jesus in us and through us is what empowers us to live like this. You guys, this stuff is hard, right? It is hard, and we simply could not will ourselves to do these things. We can't will ourselves to lay down our freedoms and our rights. However, however, with the Spirit of Jesus living within us, moving us, empowering us, energizing us, we can do these things, and we can do them in even greater things. All right, please hear me, part two. Um, some of us who are uh, on the more introverted side of things, this is going to land even heavier on. And I'm, I'm trying to relieve some of that right now. Please don't hear this as me asking you to make yourself like a super extrovert. Please don't hear this as me asking you to go become BFFs with everybody within Crossroads. That's not what this is. This is about each of us with our own unique wiring and giftedness, our own personalities, finding the place within each sphere of Crossroads, right? We have big group settings. We have medium group settings. We have small group settings. We have even smaller group settings. Finding the place where our unique gifting and wirings, where we, where we connect. Because, like I said, please hear me, your presence is necessary and it's wanted. Your presence is necessary and it's wanted. All right. So we think about laying down our rights and the things that Paul did. What's today's equivalent? Like we, We've been reading a lot about things like... Uh, purification rights and food restrictions and, um, and circumcision and all kinds of stuff that like doesn't apply to us today, does not seem at all relevant. And I think here's today's equivalent, right? Today's equivalent of what Paul did by engaging all that stuff, what his team did on behalf of the church, the Jerusalem church, is this, is that they gave up their right to extreme individualism. They gave up their right to extreme individualism. And 
by, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna parade out all the statistics and quotes and studies that, that point to extreme individualism as like the thing that is America, like the hallmark of, of American culture. And all those same studies and quotes and, and statistics talk about how dangerous that extreme individualism is. I do want to clarify the term for you, though. So here's my really loose, unprofessional definition of extreme individualism. It's this. It's the desire to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, regardless of how it affects anybody else. And the mantra of extreme individualism might be something like, who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do. So let me just say this. This is not about me or anybody else telling you what you can and cannot do. This is about living in such a way that we remind people, we confirm, we acknowledge the the gospel of Jesus and its good news and Jesus' centrality to every every area of life. That's what willingly laying aside our rights and freedoms is all about. That's what giving up extreme individualism is all about. Now, I want to get super practical and throw some ideas out there at you about what it means to live in community as Paul taught, to live in community as individuals, right? Because the idea is that in order to do each one of these things that I'm about to talk about, it would require us to give up a freedom, to give up a right. So the idea of living in community, and that simply, and I use this phrase already tonight, today, whenever you're watching, I, it simply means this, it means show up, right? Whether it's online or it's in person, you show up. If you're online, introduce yourself in the chat, participate in the chat, your presence is necessary. Just you being here is an encouragement. As I talked about earlier, it's an encouragement. We come together in large groups and in small groups. We come together to study. We come together to learn. We come together to pray. We worship together. We serve together. We show up. Living in community means that we remind each other that Jesus meets us where we are and he loves us enough to not leave us there. And sometimes, sometimes that looks like encouragement, like, yeah, you got this, you can do it. Sometimes it looks like challenge, like, man, what are you doing? Like, that's, we need to talk about that. That's not what God has for you. But regardless, whether it's challenge or encouragement, it's, it's living, it's being in a group of people who are happy to see me even when I am not at my best. It's about people being happy to see you even when you are not at your best. And we remind each other of that. That's a little bit of what it looks like to live in community. What about living in community as individuals? Simple stuff. It's time, right? And some of this stuff is fun. It's not, it's not necessarily work. It's fun. We go for walks and we work out together and we play rounds of golf and we have coffees and lunches and we text each other and we message each other and we Snapchat each other and, and Marco Polo and however you choose to communicate. We give our time 
to each other. We celebrate with each other. When something goes well for one of us, we come around them and we're thankful with each other. And man, we're, we're just so happy with each other. And we don't have to look at somebody else and try to find something wrong with them because something good happened to them that didn't happen to me. In Australia, they call that a tall poppy syndrome. You guys can ask Leanne about it. Because she's from Australia. Not anyway. Um, right? We celebrate with each other. That's a huge part of being happy to see one another. It's a huge part of living in community as individuals. We also suffer with each other. And that's hard, right? Being willing to step into other people's messes is hard and it's challenging, but it's the right thing to do. It's what Jesus did. It's what we're called to do. And it, it does not require pearls of wisdom. It does not require heroic acts. You show up, we close our mouths, and we be still and we be present. It might mean listening. It might mean letting somebody just pour their heart out to you. But we don't run the other direction when somebody has a hard time. Even if it's a hard time that they bring on themselves, we are still happy to see each other, even in our suffering. And finally, we remind each other that we are the kind of people who look up, lean in, and reach out. This particular message, next week's message, has kind of all been about leaning in, right? And that's, that's where I want to I wanna end our discussion tonight with this idea that one of the best ways that we can lean in is for those of us who are stronger in our faith to look out for and defer to those who are weaker in their faith. That might mean, like, if you go out to dinner and the person that you're having dinner with, their faith is not in a position where they can have a glass of wine at dinner, you don't have a glass of wine at dinner. It means thinking about the movies you sit down and watch with each other. It means taking every choice and having it be subject to what it will do to the faith of those around you. Is this going to help somebody get closer to Jesus? Is this going to stir somebody's affections for Jesus? Or is it going to get in the way and push them farther away? Because there's just some really practical things. The list could be really, really long. But those are the idea that we would willingly give up our rights and our freedoms for the sake of others. Paul had, he had two great loves in his life. Jesus and the church. And he would do anything for either one of them. He expressed his love for Jesus in the way that he treated other people. For those who didn't know Jesus, he gave 100% of his, of his heart, his mind, and his body so that they might be introduced. For those who had come to a saving faith in Jesus, he willingly laid down his rights and his freedoms so that together they could experience and they could express new life in Jesus to experience and express a way of living that puts others before self, that builds others up, where the strong look after the weak. 
and the good of many is pursued. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are indeed the ultimate example of laying down your rights and freedoms, just like Leanne explained to us. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that empowers us to do things that we don't think we're capable of. Lord, would you get that idea out of our head that we're not capable of, of living like our, our biblical heroes? God, would you make us the kind of people who step into the challenges that you put in front of us, that as we look up to you for guidance and direction and lean into each other for support, encouragement, and challenge, that that would drive us to reach out and people would notice a difference. Jesus, I thank you so much for the community of Crossroads. I thank you for the different uh, individuals, backgrounds, experiences that you have brought together into the new family of Jesus. May we be the kind of people who cause others to look and say, man, there's something going on there that I want to know about. And then that we would turn and point to you, Jesus. We would turn and point to you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen.